How can we get started with role-playing games? What are the questions we need to be asking? And how can we give the beginning of our game a better chance of surviving long-term? If you say the real life ends up your days And you don't have time to play Well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing thing My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello, rescuers. Welcome to the last Saturday episode of 2019. Wow. I hope you had a delicious and exciting Christmas, assuming that you celebrate it, and I hope that you are well. I suppose I'd better go on and wish you a happy new year too, despite the fact that I rather curmudgingly find the arbitrary celebration of a single solo orbit around the sun to be a bit of a stretch for things to get excited about. It doesn't help that I really don't like the Gregorian calendar's sun-worshipping focus, but yeah, I digress. Today, I want to offer anyone who is setting themselves up to fail with New Year's resolutions, another rather odd tradition to my mind, I want to offer them some advice on how to make a decision to start running a new role-playing game a little less worse than it might be. The focus today is in getting started as a games master and some of the things that I believe we ought to be thinking about more when we start running a game. Some of this is probably controversial and I'm going to point out that I have not, up to this point at least, tended to do these things and I'd also like to say that some of my points are not, shall we say, play-tested. That said, it's what I have learned and come to believe might be useful in making a game better from the very beginning. And, as ever, for those master GMs who know all of this, my apologies up front for stating the obvious. It's just that I firmly believe that the obvious never is. Most things that I believe are obvious turn out not to be so obvious to other people. So, here goes. This is Season 5, Episode 10, Put the Players First. And first, we've got some call-ins. Jay, Andy Goodman here again. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm bombarding you with messages, but I don't know if you're aware. You probably are. I'm sure you are. But um, I just saw that you've been nominated for an N World um, Podcast of the Year award. How amazing is that? Um, if you, I mean, I'm sure you know what N World is. They they um, they run the uh, rather uh, controversial award ceremony, the N is. I'm sure some people on this network are not too fond of them. But anyway, regardless, it's a major accolade, I think. And you're the first anchorite to get there. So, wow, you are having a reach. And I think you are doing something really great uh, for our, our approach to podcasting and the hobby as a whole. Well done, mate. And before you get your hopes up, mate, you are up against about 150 others. But nevertheless, what a great thing to have achieved. And we need to get the whole Anchorite community en masse to go there and vote for you. I already have. Andy Goodman there from Expeditions to the Grizzly Peaks. 
Thanks for that call, mate. And you'll know, because I replied to you almost instantly, first thing in the morning when I received it, you'll know that I didn't know that I'd been um, nominated for Talk Podcast of the Year amongst the 150 or so other nominees. Um, and I was absolutely blown away. And um, so thank you for bringing it to my attention because, you know, I would never have figured that out or noticed it. Um, I, I just don't use N-World and I'm really sorry to say I don't pay much attention to the NEs either. And it's not that I think they're a bad thing. I just, I, you know, I just don't have much interest in award ceremonies generally. And it would never have occurred to me that anyone would even nominate me. Um, but it is great. And I'm, I'm really chuffed. I'm absolutely made up. I thought it was a wind up. Um, but um, I'm absolutely made up about it. Um, and at the same time, I realized that I'm not the first anchorite. The first anchorite, as far as I know, was uh, Jason Hobbs. Uh, Jason Hobbs got um, a nomination for Hobbs and Friends of the OSR. And, you know, kind of controversially didn't win that. Um, and But I am pleased that... Um, I don't know, maybe I'm the second. Uh, I just feel incredibly honoured by the whole thing. And I'm I, I just, whoever it was who nominated me, thank you so much. It is an amazing thing. As Andy said, it is a great accolade to even be mentioned and nominated and shows that maybe the mission of, you know, kind of encouraging people back to the hobby and helping them to run less worse games, that that is a thing that has resonated with some people. And maybe we can just kind of get the message out even further. So, Andy, thank you so much for calling in and letting me know. And, yeah, everybody, go vote. Um, I don't imagine that will win it. But just, you know, if you like the show, please go on it in world and, and vote because that would be kind of cool. Anyway, <sighs> narcissism over. Who's next? Hey, Che, it's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I'm listening to your episode, Eight Types of Fun, and something occurred to me when a comment came up by someone named Richard, whose voice I didn't recognize. Now, I haven't been listening as often lately, so it could be that he's commented elsewhere as well. But I looked at Anchor and realized that I can't tell who he is or if he has a podcast or anything. I know that you edit all of your episodes and put them up as one big piece, and I completely appreciate that you like the audio quality of that. If you could do me a favor, and if you do that, and someone puts up a comment who isn't, who doesn't mention their name on Anchor, or if they have a podcast, if you could do that, that would be wonderful. That's how I discovered um, Joe Richter's hindsight list, and Goblin's Henchman just put up an episode, so I really appreciate using Anchor that way. Thank you. The amazing Liren updates from the middle of nowhere. Thank you, Liren, for calling and, you know, bringing me back down to earth with a bump as I realise that I'm, uh, shall we say, less than perfect at this podcasting lark. Yeah, Richard Hill. Uh, Richard called in last episode on Saturday um, and he's from Roleplay Interactive Podcast. He um, has his own show and... Um, yeah, Richard, I'm really sorry that I kind of, I, for some reason, it looks like we didn't mention that, which podcast it was and all the rest of it. So, uh, Richard, um, thank you for calling in last time. And, uh, you know, Liren, please check out Roleplay Interactive. Um, have a listen to what he's doing. Um, on the subject of how I run the podcast and how I do the podcast, yes, I do record my episodes and edit them all together and then upload them to Anchor. Um, largely, it was because when I first started using the Anchor app, I noticed there were huge gaps between the 
the kind of sections, the what are they called? Segments, that's the technical word, uh, segments of the podcast. And um, it just irritated me. And I found that people who are listening on Anchor got really irritated. Um, obviously, if you download an Anchor podcast onto another podcatcher, you don't have that problem. And so I guess in some ways, I'm, uh, I, I just don't use Anchor in that way. And I don't think about using Anchor in that way. And I'm really sorry about that. Um, so yes, I'm going to try as much as I can. If I recognize someone's um, name um, and they have a podcast, I'll try and remember to mention it. But honestly, I can't promise that I always will because I'm a bit rubbish like that. Anyway, Liran, thanks for the call in. I hope that helps and sorts that out. And yeah, thanks for calling in. It's lovely to hear your voice. I really missed your your voice, your call-ins, and uh, it's lovely to hear from you. Thanks, Liran. Hey, Chase. Spencer here. Really fascinated by the uh, eight types of fun episode, the whole MDA theory. It's helping me to understand something that I've been wrestling with recently. I've been reflecting a lot on the Black Hack games that uh, Dave Aldridge has been running. I've been really enjoying those. And uh, while there is a lot of fun to be had there, I've often found myself a bit conflicted. There's been an edge to that fun where I found myself kind of wrestling with the dilemmas of the implications of what the party is doing. And it's because I think I fall into a couple of categories of uh, discovery and fellowship. And there seems to be a tension there. I'm I'm with people who are quite happy to open cans of worms and leave chaos in their wake. And I really want to find out more about that world before the tables are flipped. So I just want to say thank you for helping me kind of get to the root of where that tension's coming from. Um, uh, this These games are like a West Marches style. So there, not only is there a rotation of players, but there's a rotation of characters and uh, as a player, I want to get to know the other players and my character wants to get to know the other characters. And at the same time, some of those characters are doing stuff that are kind of um, getting in the way of my character having a greater understanding of that world. Or maybe me as a player having a greater understanding of that world. I hope that makes some sense. And uh, like I say, I'm really enjoying playing in that world but thank you for helping me clarify that hey spencer spencer there from keep off the borderlands uh thanks for calling in man and great to hear that something i said resonated and helped and in some way kind of helped you figure out that what you describe as a tension in your play there it's fantastic isn't it uh, when you start to think about what it is you're wanting from the table what it is that you actually enjoy at the table um, and also the things that are kind of barriers for you or more difficult for you. Um, absolutely. I just, I'm just so made up that somebody has got something out of it. So Spencer, thanks for calling in and sharing that. I hope someone else out there is also, you know, perhaps getting something from that. And yeah, I think there probably is a tension between fellowship and, um, discovery you know uh, I think there's a tension between all of them in some respects I think there are times where each of those itches needs scratching more intensely and that can be you know troublesome for others which kind of leads me on to something I'm going to talk about in a bit but first I got another call in on 509 as well uh, can you guess who it is yet hey Jason here Nerds RPG Variety Cast uh, I don't think there's an issue of people understanding where you're coming from I think it's fairly straightforward um as far as kind of gamer 
pretty, you know, fellowship is definitely mine. I'm pretty sure I describe myself as a social gamer in the our interviews, so probably not a big surprise. But enjoying the show and keep up the good work. Hey, Jason, thanks for calling in again. Uh, it would not be an episode if uh, you hadn't called in, I think. We've got so used to you, and I love it. Um, yeah, thanks, mate, for your vote of confidence. And yeah, you know, I think, you know what? I think sometimes the fellowship itch, that's one that uh, is probably more common than people realize, and perhaps a little bit denigrated, a little bit looked down the nose at. You know, like you merely just want to get around the table and hang out with people. I mean, I remember reading Robin D. Laws's book on good games mastering, where he first outlined this kind of gamer styles thing in a very kind of crude way. And in there, he talked about, um, you know, like wallflowers, really. People who just sort of sit around and are there but don't particularly take part. Now, I know that you're not like that. I know you're a very active player. There are other itches. But it sort of almost seemed to denigrate for me this sort of fellowship, just being there. And for me, getting around with the mates, that's a major part of the hobby. Um, and so thanks for, for bringing that up, really. Um, and, you know, just listening to you and Spencer, I realized there's two players who play for fellowship. So, hmm. Let's not be putting that one down. Thank you again, Jason, for calling in. And i got just one more. This one's an awesome call. Oh, check this out. This is awesome. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So I find it interesting that you're not a fan of the rules light systems. And that's cool. Um, for me, though, it's a must-have. Because I have crippling anxiety and it will turn into gamer anxiety or GM anxiety. And if I don't have a system where I can look at the monster stats and I know I can create monsters on the fly or like situations like traps, whatever, then I, I can't do it. I'll get in panic mode. I cannot run modules even because I feel the need to have to know everything and it's just so crippling to me. That's why I'm a huge fan of things like the Black Hack, because I can look at a monster stat. Oh, it's only two lines? I can easily make up monsters on my own right on the fly. And that's, I really need that because that helps me a lot. I think this is a truly amazing call-in. Josh Backelheimer from JB Publishing, thank you so much for calling that in. Um, I think it's amazing calling because it's so honest and it is so honoring to me and so amazing to me that you have got to the point where you're comfortable enough calling in and being really open and honest about you know the limitations that you have as a gamer i have so many of them and i'm not sure that um, being honest about them is ever comfortable josh I get where you're coming from. I absolutely understand the desire to have simpler things so that, you know, you can avoid the anxiety that comes from having complicated things. And, uh, yeah, I guess we're all different. I find comfort in that complexity, personally. Um, you know, th there is um, kind of some kind of rule there for me that helps me to feel less anxious about getting it wrong at the table. And it's obvious that you need simplicity because that allows you to then be creative and kind of fill in the blanks. For me, the blanks would be terrifying. I find the thing that puts me off the most with Black Hack, for example, is just there are so many things to fill in the blanks for. I roll off some tables and get some inspiration, and now I'm supposed to be inspired, and I find that stressful. And uh, So, you know, it's horses for courses again, uh, to ho use a horrible, horrible um, platitude. But, you know... <sighs> 
we've all got to find our way of playing these games better. And Josh, I'm just really pleased that you standing in there for those who like things simple, because um, yeah, we've got to come together as a gaming community and support each other. It's no point standing at each outside of the room going, I think you're wrong because I prefer this. I honestly think that by coming together and sharing our thoughts, our limitations, our anxieties, and our experiences that we can make the hobby a much better place. So, Josh, thank you for such an awesome call-in. I hope I hear from you again soon. Game on, man. I want to begin this discussion on getting started with tabletop role-playing games by talking about some things you should definitely not do. Even though I, and most other GMs, almost always seem to do them. Things you shouldn't do if you want to get a good game going. Because I am a teacher, someone who knows that the human brain tends to ignore negative instructions, I'm going to turn those negative statements around and state them as positives. Things to do. And I hope that you'll bear with me and, you know, consider these points with a fair mind. Number one. Pick the players before you pick the game. Most GMs pick one or more of the three elements of a role-playing game, whether it be the rules, the setting or the game structures, and then they pitch that proposal out to prospective players. This leads to people talking about for example, Chase Gerp's Dungeon Fantasy game or Dave's Black Hat game. I have noticed an especially strong tendency for people to fixate on the game rules when they think about role-playing games. I've also noticed that many players and GMs will also make decisions about whether they'll play almost entirely based on which game rules are in play. This is a mistake. Whether it's the rules, the world, or the structures, the truth is that this decision should not come first. Pick the players before you pick the game. The number one thing that is going to determine whether you are having an enjoyable time at the gaming table, whether that be face-to-face or online, is going to be the players in front of you. Clearly, the big exception to this rule is at conventions or in pickup games in stores, but most of us don't play in those limited environments in our regular games. Thus, whenever possible, you should absolutely pick the players first. But I hear a complaint already. How can I attract players to my table if they don't know what they are playing? Well, by being honest with them. I want to run a new game and I am looking for players. Would you like to come along and meet some other potential players and talk about setting up a campaign? I have a few ideas, but I'd like to see what you might enjoy playing too. With modern technology being a great tool, I might suggest setting up a hangout session and inviting a bunch of folks to come along and have a chat. Even better, set a real-world location and time in which to meet socially. The goal will be to have a proper session zero, which... By the way, most people seem to do very badly. I know I do. A proper session zero anyway, in which you can meet the potential players and together talk about what you'd like to play. Role-playing games are a collaborative experience in which people, over time, form strong emotional bonds with one another. And I am firmly of the opinion that you have to know your players if you want to facilitate a good time at the gaming table. 
I believe we can all avoid the pitfalls and triggering events that arise from playing games with people we simply don't know by taking the time to get to know people a little bit first. Now I know, having said that, that there are going to be people who say, I don't have time to go and meet people on the vague off chance that I might get a game with someone I like. And you know what? I think you have to decide what you want. Do you want to have this hit and miss thing with your gaming? Or do you want to create a lasting relationship with good players and have a solid series of games? So, okay, let's see you take this point. You might turn up with a short list of options. I mean, things you'd like to play, that's fine having those in your mind. You might include rules you are happy to use or worlds you'd like to play in. And you might even have some game structures that you're comfy using in mind, but you shouldn't bring all of that to the table. Be flexible. Remember, the game is more than the rules. The game is what the people are experiencing when they use the rules to adjudicate their decision-making in the world within the context of the game structures in play. Put another way, the game is more than the sum of the elements in use. The game is most powerfully affected by the people engaged in playing. And thus, you should choose your players before you pick the game. Rescue! Number two, talk about what engages the players. Remember I said that most people do session zero badly. This point is how to do it less badly. Last episode, episode 509, I shared a critical insight that arises from the MDA design approach. There are eight types of fun, eight engagements that gamers, well, (laughs) engage in. Challenge, discovery, expression, fantasy, fellowship, narrative, sense pleasure, submission. There is no point in asking people to tell you which engagements they prefer, because most people don't know. Most gamers haven't heard of these anyway, many of them think that it's a load of crap, and the remainder, well, they're probably not self-aware enough to know how to answer in a coherent way. My tip is to combine the methodology of the Angry GM with the interviewing technique of Sir John Timpson. Sir John Timpson is, for non-UK residents, the owner of the Timpson High Street shops which offer cobbling, key cutting, dry cleaning and a bunch of other small jobs. They also own several other high street brands in the UK but those aren't relevant here. John Timpson operates his stores in a pretty open and trusting manner. Staff have two rules and they are otherwise trusted to run the shops however they see fit. The two rules are, by the way, look the part and put the money in the till. Staff are authorised to spend £500 on a customer to serve them in whatever way is appropriate when need arises, but otherwise they are trusted to run the business however they see fit. I believe that around 70% of staff are ex-convicts and Timpsons finds that only 3% of those staff re-offend. The national average for re-offence when you have a job is, by the way, 21%. And the job of management at Timpsons is to get out of the way of their staff. Managers are not allowed to give orders and managers are not allowed to make rules. Anyway, the Timpson interview technique is pretty simple. He has a sheet with a series of maybe 20 or so cartoon faces with names underneath. Characters such as Mr. Happy, Mrs. Cheery and Mr. Frowny. I'm making those examples up because I've only seen this sheet once, very quickly, while Sir John was explaining it to me. But in short, 
He is looking for certain positive personal qualities and trying to avoid some negative personal qualities. In interview, you are invited to simply talk for about 30 minutes with the interviewer. It's a conversation and they tick off the qualities they see, positive or negative, during the interview. If you have lots of positive ticks and a few negative ones, they offer you a paid half day or day in the store to try out. And if you do okay on that trial, well, they hire you. Simple. Let's come back to the table. The angry GM uses session zero in an interesting manner. He sits down socially and chats to his potential players. He asks them to tell him about the gaming experiences they have had, positive or negative, and he tries to identify which of the eight engagements he believes their stories hit. He makes notes and uses those to put together a pitch for a game. Once he has his players, he pitches a game idea to them. That'll outline the rules and the world kind of pretty clearly, and then, if they want to play, he'll go away and prep that game. That's how to use Session Zero in a less worse way, by the way. I'd like to propose taking those two ideas and mashing them together. First of all, think about your own gaming experiences and try to identify your own engagements. Put these high on your page. For me, that would mean putting challenge, discovery and expression high on my page and I'd also stick sense pleasure up there. My second row would be fantasy, fellowship and submission and narrative would probably for me go at the bottom because it's my least engaging engagement. Get into talking to your players and listen. Really listen to their stories. I am talking about active listening. Pay even more attention to their positive stories, the best times they've had, but also be open to the worst gaming time stories as well. For positive engagements, tick the ones that each player shows you they care about and cross the ones they mention as negatives. Understand that this is not going to be perfect, largely because you are not perfect, but also because not everyone will talk about their actual best and worst gaming stories. They'll talk about what they remember. Make sure everyone gets airtime to talk, and that the person who is quiet, well, they might well be there for fellowship, so, you know, tick that one off. But from the conversation, you can go away and start working on a pitch that will hit the engagements these particular players talked about. You might also pick up on some taboos and triggers and areas of particular discomfort or even some cool ideas that you can steal and recycle back into the coming game. While you talk, consider discussing games they've played. What did they like? What didn't they like? If they are new to role-playing games, ask them what appeals to them about it. Ask them what other gaming experience they have. And if there's no gaming experience at all, ask them about the fiction they enjoy, you know, novels, films, books... It'll give you clues as to what they might find engaging in play. Remember, when I said to consider discussing past gaming experience, I mean more than what rules do you like. I mean, what experience of other game rules, game worlds and settings, or even game structures do you have? Digging into the stories they actually tell about past gaming. Yeah, you know, like tell me about your favourite character or what's your most memorable moment in gaming or what was the best moment you ever had at the gaming table. Let's try this for an example. A player who expresses a bad past experience with dungeon crawling game is probably A, not much into exploration and B, definitely not going to like a dungeon crawl game structure so much. 
You know what, for me with this sheet, I'd like to add to the eight engagements. I'd probably stick in some stuff on genres like sci-fi, fantasy, modern, horror, whatever. And I'd also kind of make a note of game structure interest. I wouldn't be talking about this out loud, but in my mind I'd be thinking about the big three, dungeon crawls, map crawls, also known as hex crawls, and mysteries. And I'd also add a sort of plot-driven game as a tick box because it's a genuine and dominant form of play. And if other people are talking about that's the way they usually play, I need to know that. Personally, I'd stick the three levels of agency on there too. Scene, situation and goal. And what they're used to. What do they expect from agency? I'd try and dig that out as well. But you know what? This is kind of stretching my sheet quite a long way. In all of this, just be warned, this needs to be less overt and much more conversational than I am pitching here. It's kind of hard to pull off, but keep it simple, stick to the eight engagements if the rest seems too much, and at the end of an hour or so of chat, you should have a pile of ideas about what to run and a pitch you could suggest. You know what? Things are going to pop into mind as you have this conversation, and you're going to get excited about something, and that something, yeah... That's what you should talk to the players about actually playing. You know what? In talking about Sir John Timpson, did I just manage to talk a load of old cobblers? Rescue! Number three, run the game you will enjoy that they might enjoy too. I've spent far too many years running games that didn't engage me. I've run narrative games badly because I am not interested in telling stories with plot and pacing and subplots. I've run games that miss out tactical detail in combat because other people preferred so-called rules-like games that abstract those things. And I've run games in worlds and settings that didn't interest me because reading someone else's setting book kind of bores me. Every one of those games has failed. For me, the game needs to offer challenge and discovery up front and centre. There also needs to be room for expression, that is, my creative expression in designing the world and situations for play. And alongside that needs to be a willingness to allow for the tools of sense pleasure, things like miniatures and maps, dice and tokens. Whatever your preference is, that needs to be front and centre. Any player that doesn't want to engage with those things will not enjoy your gaming table for long. They will leave. They'll be polite about it, probably, but they will leave. You might as well be honest about what you're offering in the pitch. It's okay for players to say, no thank you, and then leave. You might even find that they'll bow out after the session zero chat. Not because you're not nice or the others aren't nice people, but because they're seeking different engagement. But run the game you will enjoy. Be honest about that. Second though, try to work in the engagements that the players showed interest in. Avoid thinking in dichotomies that's a false way of thinking. I said a moment ago that I have run narrative games badly because I'm not interested in telling those types of stories. And that's true. I won't run a plotted story because I feel it limits player agency too much. But, big but, but I can run a narrative game. Yeah, I really think I can scratch that itch. I can set up a node-based game structure to deliver a narratively engaging experience which also preserves player agency. It won't be a railroad plotted, you know, a structure filled with quantum ogres and quantum locations, but it will be a rich environment that can offer a genuine series of narrative highs and lows. That said, I can't promise my narrative will deliver top-notch stage-style pacing and high drama, 
And no, I don't tend to do voices, but those things just aren't my jam. And that's okay. Sometimes we simply can't offer a player something we either don't enjoy doing or don't know how to do yet. And let's remain true to ourselves. Let's be honest. Pitch the game you want to run and which you believe they might enjoy playing. Number four, consider an open table or a limited run. Now this is a bonus point and I'm very aware that I'm running out of time, going to overrun today. But you know what, this is important. Most people, when we're setting up a campaign, we imagine a long-running campaign with the same players every session in an ongoing narrative. And those same people live in a world populated by players who have limited time and who find committing to any campaign to be a problem. Session Zero's first question needs to be a simple one. How often can you commit to playing? Weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly? In my experience, the best campaigns are weekly. You can get away with bi-weekly, like I do, and you can even get away with monthly. Longer is usually much harder to sustain. Although I know I have listeners who are playing in long-term, annually played campaigns, but be honest about what you can commit to and ask them to be honest in return. If commitment is a problem, you must run an open table. That's where whoever turns up plays and you don't need the same players every session. This limits your game. It does. It limits it to a certain style. You're probably going to either have a West Marches style map crawl, a traditional dungeon crawl, or a mission-based series of one-shot adventures. And all of those can work. My own Dungeons of Thal is exactly this type of offering. And there are many others. Jason Hobbs is the master of this approach. Another thing to consider is taking a slice of advice from Spike Pit, Colin Green, and offer a time-bound series of sessions. Offer six sessions, for example. Schedule them, offer a bounded experience, a single story arc, a single series of missions, one or two levels of dungeon, a small hex map, whatever. Run it for those six, eight, ten or twelve sessions and then review. Be prepared to let the game go. If they want more, great. Set up a second time-bound series of sessions series two. In some cases, this will become series three or four or five or more, but it's also okay to play just three sessions and call it a day. Consider an open table or a limited run. They are undervalued approaches, Mr. GM. Right then, that's about it. What have I suggested? Well, one, pick the players before you pick the game. Two, talk about what engages the players. Three, run the game you will enjoy and that they might enjoy too. And four, consider an open table or a limited run. To my mind, turning up to run a game is a big commitment. And when the players show up to play in it, that's a commitment too. I don't think we can afford to waste time by playing in games that we don't enjoy. What I enjoy and what you enjoy may well be very different. And that's okay. That's okay, by the way, because we're different people with different things that engage us. I like detailed game rules, deep worlds and structures that allow for exploration. And you might like abstracted combat, more time to interact with NPCs rather than exploring a map. And, I don't know, some at-the-table acting. We can be friends, but my game might not engage you. There are many ways to play role-playing games. I know that my own combination of engagements is just that. What engages me? 
I think I owe it to you to try and figure out what might engage you when you're at my gaming table. Once I've got a handle on that, I might be able to create a gaming experience that you'll get more out of. But it's okay if it turns out that what you love is not my jam. In an age of identity politics and false dichotomies, I'd like to propose that it's possible to transcend all that and discover a different way of playing that accepts people for who they are. I hope that makes some sense. Let me know what you think. Game on. then that's the lot i'm gonna wrap it up there sorry for the five or so minutes overrun today thanks to andy Liren, spencer jason and josh for their call-ins thank you the show is much richer if folk take the time to call in i'm hugely grateful thank you also to the roleplay rescue patrons who support the show through their generosity on patreon the money helps me to fund various elements i don't know like the music produced by tj drennan and the upkeep on my blog are two big examples from 2019 so big thank you all of you finally thank you to you the listener for taking a little time out of your day to listen i once again hope that i've hit my core mission of encouraging you all to regularly play imaginative games and to play in a way that suits you better my name is che webster this is roleplay rescue see you again next time game on (laughs) 